Ah, the sounds of business. But what you can't hear is energy efficiency hard at work. At Georgia Power, we know that the easiest way to lower energy costs is taking simple steps to save energy, like opening the blinds during the day to take advantage of natural light and replacing lighting with LED fixtures and bulbs, a cost-effective and energy-efficient solution. Get savvy on saving energy with more energy efficiency tips, programs, and rebates. Visit georgiapower.com slash commercial savings today. This is Life Admin Life Hacks, a podcast that gives you techniques, tips, and tools to tackle your life admin more efficiently, to save your time, your money, and improve your household harmony. I'm Dinah Rowe Roberts, an operations manager, and when I read about the mental load for the first time, it finally gave words to the heavy weight I'd been carrying. I'm Mia Northrop, a researcher and writer who rolls her eyes every time she hears another media story about women predominantly shouldering the mental load in families. Because this is not news, people. We know this. Can we as a society please start focusing on solutions? <laughs> so in this episode, we interview psychologist and mental load expert, Dr. Morgan Cutlip. Hello, and welcome to Life Admin Life Hacks. Dinah and I are very excited about this episode because we're diving into a topic that triggered our need to optimise life admin and is inspired by some of the most common questions we've been asked by our listeners, like, how can I make my partner do their fair share? How do I get my co-parent to take more responsibility? Why doesn't my partner see how stressful and unfair it is for me to do everything? Do these sound familiar? Research you've run in the past revealed that life admin causes friction in the majority of different sex households. And the Australian Institute of Family Studies just reported that mothers carry the mental load when it comes to parenting, which causes significant stress, and women carry the mental load when it comes to life admin too, and this contributes to stress and anxiety as well. One of the payoffs of getting your life admin organised is household harmony, and in our book Life Admin Hacks, each chapter has a rating of how much improvements in a certain area, like meal planning or organising your social life or decluttering, Will contribute to household harmony. And part of getting your life admin sorted is not just working out better processes and tools to tackle the tasks, but to also acknowledge who carries the mental load in a household and to share both that load and those tasks more equitably. So we've been on a quest for some time to find an expert to talk specifically about this topic and we finally found her. So we were really excited to interview Dr. Morgan Cutlip and in this show she talks about the far-reaching impact the mental load can have on your relationship, the work, the within work you need to do and the between work you need to tackle to improve how you approach life admin in your household and how a weekly check-in with your partner can be a game changer in sharing the load. So if you want some advice on how you and your partner can optimise life admin in a fairer way, this app is for you. Morgan Cutlip has a PhD in psychology is a wife, mum to two kids, and lifelong lover of all things relationships. Dr. Morgan's work centres on creative content development for mylovethinks.com and delivering educational content for your relationships in a way that is not just professional, but is also practical. Dr. Cutlip has been a featured relationship expert for Teen Vogue, The New York Times, Flow Tracker app, and is the upcoming author to two books with Thomas Nelson, How to Love Your Kids Without Losing Yourself and The Motherload. Oh, Morgan, thanks so much for coming on the show today. 
Well, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, well, I've been following you on Instagram for some time and I, I love the, the work you put out there. So I wondered if maybe we could start our conversation today with you giving us what your definition is of the mental load. Oh, yeah, it's funny. I was talking about this with my husband earlier and he's like, anytime I bring it up to other people, they're like, what is the mental load? And I think that, <laughs> I think that one of the best ways for women to understand it is is really in just the the feeling of it. We experience the mental load in that that overwhelm, that sort of dizziness and spinning that we experience a lot of the time when we're managing all the things. But to give a more official definition, I'd say it's it's the running list of to-dos that we carry with us in our minds. Things like managing the household, managing social calendars, research, the emotional worry and work that we put towards our children and our relationships, the managers of our relationships. And the mental load has some really key features that make it a bit tricky. And one of them is that it's often invisible. This makes it really challenging because it's hard to articulate what it is to our partners. And when they don't understand it, it's hard for them to help us. So Mm. I think another piece that resonates strongly for people is the mental load takes up cognitive effort, takes up space in our minds, and that crowds out other things, which I'm sure we'll talk about. (laughs) Definitely. And and I think it was the mental load or my mental load that made me start this whole caper. So I think that all really (laughs) resonates with me. It's kind of how Life Admin Life Hacks was born was, you know, the feeling of that mental load just being too much. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. It, It does really change significantly after kids. So it's usually there a lot in our relationships and, and research says, and I know you have to kind of draw these conclusions, but typically it's women who carry the majority of the mental load. It usually exists before kids, but it really intensifies after kids. So that's usually when people start kind of digging into some of this information. So you gave a few examples earlier of what it feels like to have it. What does this inequity in the mental load look like? Yeah, I mean... You mean within the relationship? I think, what does it look like? It's hard to even know where to begin with that question because (laughs) the mental load, it really starts to erode all aspects of closeness within the relationship when one partner is feeling like there is an inequity, like there really is this unfairness within the relationship. And so (laughs) I like to talk about something that I call piling on precedence which is, I believe, a really major way. There's several reasons why I believe the inequity exists, and this is one of them. I also think we tend to repeat the roles that we were raised with and that we saw. And then also I think there's the societal sort of socialization piece that affects why things are a bit more inequitable. But piling on precedence is a big one because you can actually do something about this. And I define it as early on in our relationships, we tend to do things for our partners or our kids or family, you know, whoever in our relationships out of love and care. We just, we just want to take care of the people we love. We're good at it. Women are really good at that. And that's something to be, to be, I think, proud of. However, (laughs) when we do these things for our partners, Early on, especially, I think it happens right away in relationships, they sort of just take it off their plate. If we've taken care of it, it's out of sight, out of mind for them. And usually we don't discuss it. I think of like early on in my marriage with my husband, I... I just like would make dinner and I would also do the dishes. And of course I did the planning and the shopping and all the things. And I remember him kind of being like, let me take over. I'll do the dishes. And I remember, no, 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 no. 
I got this. Like, I got you. You relax. And it's just out of love and care. And over the years, I started like making more noise in the kitchen when I was doing the dishes because I'm like, why the heck am I doing all of these things? Because at this point, we had kids, things got busier. And I felt like I was almost like banging the dishes like a cowbell, like, come on back and take this <laughs> over. But I had sort of fired him from the job. I had taken it on and he had let it go even after putting up a fight for a bit. And I think we do this with lots of things and it's not our fault. It's from a good hearted place. But before we know it, we have taken the responsibility on for so many things and our partners aren't even thinking about it anymore. Actually, as you were saying that, I was starting to think about love languages and Mm -hmm. you know how one of the languages, love languages is acts of service, Mm -hmm. which is where you like to do things for other people. And depending on, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of different love languages. Some of them are words of affirmation and quality time and physical touch. But it's interesting that for some people, you know, even if that is your language and you like to do acts of service, there's a point There's a point where it gets too much. Like it's overwhelming if you are doing everything. I think, yeah, that's, you're bringing up such a great point. And I think that there are two things. So if you're not getting reciprocation, so you're taking it on and it's not being reciprocated, your partner's not jumping in, taking initiation for things, or even asking for like, give me some direction here. I'm, I'm here to help. If it's not reciprocated or it's not appreciated, I think that's where it really becomes a massive problem because then what starts to build these these feelings of this isn't fair, uh, this is inequitable, and then we trickle into things like resentment and, and other stuff that affects the relationship. Yes. Because if your love language is acts of service, it's how you show love, but it's also mm-hmm. how you experience of, yes. experience love. So you do want to see it reciprocated. And that is definitely <laughs> me. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I guess the, then I guess that leads to the question of, you know, what impact does this inequity then have? And you've mentioned it already, that feelings of resentment, but what else does it impact in other areas of your relationship? I mean, I think it, I would argue it impacts almost everything. It impacts the way that we view our partners, our attitude towards them. I think this is a big one that maybe needs to be talked about more is our attitude toward our partner starts to shift, where we start to kind of tell ourselves these stories about our partners. Oh, they're selfish. They don't care about me. They don't, you know, can't believe they don't even chip in like, oh, am I their maid or I'm their mom is another one you hear. So it affects it affects our attitude toward our partner, which then that sours all sorts of things. Again, the resentment, it affects your feelings of dependence on your partner. You know, this question of, are you there for me? Do you show up for me like I need you to? It starts to shake that. And I think that's also a big, This is these are big deal things to be affected. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the big ones is it affects your sex life in some pretty major ways. Because uh, how do you get in a sexy state of mind when you're running through all the to-do lists and you have a bad attitude towards your partner? And so I think it's important to put this piece, this mental load piece in the context of a bigger picture of the relationship. Mm, So interesting. We've talked a lot about sort of, I guess, how this impacts romantic relationships and possibly, you know, co-parenting relationships. Does this apply to other relationships too? Like if you're roommates with people or does it really just impact these closer personal relationships? Mm. Yeah, I think that's such a good question. I So I would say a li- somewhat. I mean, I'm not sure. I don't have like a study to pull from on this one. So this is just my opinion. Yeah. This is my <laughs> clarification. Just my opinion. But, you know, I think that we carry different expectations when we go into different relationships. And so 
when we're in a romantic partnership, we're expecting to be loved in the ways that we need and to be cared for. And we're expecting a partnership. And so that looks different than like being with a roommate. However, I think those two pieces about reciprocation and appreciation still apply in things like this, like even familial relationships. If you have a sibling or something where you're giving and you're not getting back or you're not even getting appreciated, that's going to affect the relationship in some big way. So yeah, I think it, it, there are parts of this that really do still apply. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that, you know, when your husband's talking to people about the mental load, they're like, what is it? And it's often <laughs> understood better by one partner than the other. And this means that the person who has learned about the mental load ends up trying to explain it to their partner. Yeah. And how do you do this without the other person getting defensive? Yeah. Honestly, I think this is the hardest part of the mental load, I think, is getting partners to understand it and to get on board. It's one of the trickiest questions. So one piece is I'm a big believer that in our relationships, we should have regular regular relationship meetings or talks. Most people don't do this. But if you do this, you, it's much easier to introduce this conversation because if you're regularly checking in on stuff, you're keep, keeping tabs and you're normalizing the idea that you – talk about relationships even when they're going well. You know, we have this sort of stigma that if we got to talk about a relationship, it means we're in trouble. And so these ongoing talks can be really helpful in kind of in having these conversations. But if you don't do those, which I think a lot of people don't do those, there's a couple things that are important. I think one is to try to position it so you share a common enemy. And the common enemy is the mental load. Oftentimes when we bring it up to our partners, they sort of enter into this uh, defensiveness is what we get. But I think on the inside is this sort of shame spiral of, okay, so you're telling me I'm not doing enough. Like, what do I take away from this conversation? Or I guess you're saying I just kind of stink at being a partner. So they, they go into that mode and then the whole meaning of that conversation is sort of lost and what you need to get out of it gets lost. And so if you can position it and phrase it as, something I need to talk to you about that is just our sort of shared responsibility that I've been kind of doing a bit more of. It's not that you do nothing. So you're sort of like hedging the defensiveness. It's not that you do nothing, but we need to kind of reevaluate how things are distributed. I do want to say a couple of things though. Sometimes we need to think about what we want out of the conversation before we go into it. Mm -hmm. Are we wanting just to divide responsibilities differently or are we wanting more just like validation and appreciation for what we do, more understanding? I think that can help too to be really clear when you have this conversation because I think oftentimes we're so overwhelmed by it that we kind of just dump it out and they're like, I don't know what to do. I guess I'm terrible to you and I'm not helping around the house enough. Like what's going on here? So being clear about, do you just need to be seen? Do you need more appreciation? Do you need support? Do you need actual like logistical help? Mm -hmm. Something that's tricky with about the mental load is that, like I said, it's invisible. So a lot of times our partners just see the end result. There's a whole process that goes into the end result of things which is the big part of the mental load that they don't see. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it could actually be helpful to like say, I'm just going to explain it to you using items in our home. <laughs> like I'm going to pick up this can of beans in the pantry. First of all, Probably, your part you're going with probably like your partner <laughs> has never touched an item in the pan. I know I said to my husband today, have you touched anything but the peanut butter in there? I think it's just the peanut butter. But like 
you pick up this can of beans. This can of beans just looks like it just showed up in the pantry. Like, big deal. <laughs> what, you want me to buy beans? I'll buy beans. That's easy. Okay, let's talk about what this can symbolizes. In this can is me budgeting for our groceries. In this can is me meal planning. Do you know how much time meal planning takes up and mental capacity? Um, within this can of beans is me packing up two screaming toddlers and buckling them into their car seats and sweating profusely as I'm doing it, going to the store and shopping and buying it and coming home and unpacking it and then realizing I never used that stinking can of beans and now I'm organizing it, right? So it's like each item in the home, I think, tells a story of the mental load. And it can be a really like fun way to just talk about that (laughs) with your partner. I can still see you saying it. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think this bed's got here? And I think, you know, so I think it's a really good example, Morgan, because I think it was one of the, when I sort of got to breaking point, and I guess historically I used to just rant and rave and then have a fit, you know, and then wake up the next day and, you know, continue doing it, which is clearly yes. not a very, you know, sensible way You've of You've got a lot of company it. in that, though. <laughs> a lot of women do that. So what I did actually a little while ago was particularly when it came to the meal planning, which was something that really just, it really got to me. I just said to my husband very calmly one night, I don't want to do it anymore. And he just sort of (laughs) said to me, what do you mean? And I said, I'm not doing meal planning or grocery shopping anymore. You're going to have a turn. I've done it for 20 years. Now it's your turn Mm -hmm. to take it on. And he just looked at me like rabbit in the headlights. But the reality is... He's a smart man. He knows how to read recipe books. He knows how to go to a grocery store. I gave him some hints and I said, enjoy. And he did it for about, I don't know, about nine months, I think. And I have taken it back now. But he now has complete appreciation for how much time and effort and what happens, what chaos happens when it doesn't happen because it didn't happen quite a few times um, because, you know, he, he forgot. So I do think that there is also that idea of like, just saying, I'm not going to do that anymore. And I and I didn't I rescue him and I didn't, I let him fail. I yes. just let it happen. So I think that's also, it's a, that's another kind of way of, of giving it a go, um, which yeah, I highly I love, recommend. Oh, <laughs> I love your story. And I, and you're highlighting so many big things and you just said it at the end. I let it go. I let him fail. Like I just, and I think that's part of it is that if we can, if you can buy into the idea of how we pile on these precedents, how we just take them on with no conversation, when we get to a place of wanting to offload, we have to realize that we may have been doing meal planning for 20 years. And so they haven't had that experience. And so it takes time to figure Mm. it out and to learn. And if we're sort of like, micromanaging or breathing down their neck or we're getting all uptight rescuing them we're perpetuating the issue and so you did something that is not always easy to do but that's a key part of this is like if you're turning Mm -hmm. it over like give them the space to figure it out and to fail yeah but I love what you say there about you know the fact that this is invisible and you often need to sort of give them the story of how the beans got there and when we were writing our book and thinking about you know if whether it's like a birthday party even like it's you know here's the gift that your kid is taking to this party. This gift just didn't materialise. You know, there's a whole story behind that. And when we were writing the book and stepping out, you know, these are actually all the tasks, Mm -hmm. we got lots of feedback about I'd never really thought about it that way. And then once you break it down, like, no wonder I'm stressed out. Yeah. Because there's so many decisions, there's so many things to put in the diary or so many things to remember. 
And so we really wanted to break it down to the smallest parts and talk about how each of those steps could be shared so that you aren't doing it all or at least how to make all those steps more efficient. So I love that idea of, yeah. Really oh, I love that you did that closely. in your book. I know, I want your book. <laughs> I think for me personally, when I learned about the, the terminology, I know it's called different things, mental load, invisible labor, all these different things. But when I learned that, there was a name for it. Like just that label alone gave me so much more peace of mind because <laughs> you feel crazy a little bit sometimes. And then your partner's like, you always get, you'll get those unhelpful responses. Why are you so stressed? Just relax one thing at a time. And you're like, no, I have 6,000 things going on in my head at a time. And so I'm sure for so many women that you kind of ticked out all the steps that that alone had to feel so validating. Oh, we're going to talk about standards a little in a little bit. We'll get there. We'll get there. Because we think about, oh, you're letting it go. And then that person's like, well, don't worry about it. <laughs> so, Morgan, to tackle this issue, you describe within work and between work. So can you talk us through what you mean by that? So I think of, I mean, a lot of things in relationships can be divided up in this way too, but I think specifically with the mental load, when you're really in a position of like, we're ready to tackle this, we're going to work on it. There are two pieces to it. You got to think about what am I bringing to the relationship in terms of how I handle the mental load? You touched on it with sort of like giving them some space and things like that. How am I showing up and what can I change as an individual? If my partner is not going to do anything differently, what what can I change in terms of the mental load? So it's like this self-examination and self, I guess, empowerment to make changes on your own. And then the other is the dynamic. So what in our relationship has to shift? What do we need to do to make meaningful change around the mental load? I love that distinction of the within work, you know, what do I need to change within me and that between work, what can we work on between each other? It's, it's a great way to think about, all, as you said, all sorts of relationship issues. <laughs> so what are some of the, you know, when I think about that within work, what are some of the thoughts and behaviours mm-hmm. that can actually sabotage equitable relationship? I know you're speaking my language. So I have two main categories. One is the stories that sabotage. And these are the stories that we tell ourselves or even our partner might be telling themselves. So I think that these can go both ways. So it might be something like, because I'm a stay-at-home mom, I shouldn't have to ask for help or I shouldn't need to ask for help, uh, which comes up a lot, which kind of sounds silly when you say it out loud, but a lot of women operate with that. Yeah, they hold themselves to that standard. It's an impossible standard. Um, Nobody does anything without help. But this story, this standard will get in the way of asking for the help that you need and asserting your needs. I think partners might tell the story of, I never do it right, so why even try? And this this prohibits their involvement and it shuts them down and it gets in the way of of a fairer distribution. The other category I call behaviors that backfire. So I have five of those, and I don't think that they require much explanation, but one is impatience. This is like everybody talks about being, hey, can you take this down to the garage? Oh, I'll just do it myself. It's that one where we're just oh, yeah. right self-sabotaging, like give it a minute. Everyone listening to this episode is going to get a sore neck from nodding. So <laughs> <laughs> Another one is personalization. I talk about this one a lot. I think it's really big in our relationships, but I tell a story about how my husband leaves these black socks, his black socks all over the house and how 
I get to choose how I make meaning of that. So is that um, him disrespecting me? Is that him thinking I'm his mom? Is that him not caring that I like a clean house? Or is that him like chilling out, relaxing and plopping his socks in the floor and not paying attention, which is characteristic? So how do we personalize the things that our partners do or don't do? And how does that kind of get in the way of souring our attitude and, and maybe how we bring up the mental load? Another is micromanaging pack the lunches. Don't do it like that. Do it like this. You know, that kind of thing. Criticizing. Can you get the kids dressed? What the heck are they wearing? And keeping score. So yeah, you did that one thing, but you know all that I do. All these things sour the tone in the relationship. <laughs> it's not all, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, it feels a bit close to home. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We've all, everybody does them from time yeah. to time. But they're just important to raise our awareness too. Uh, so I think you also mentioned collecting data about your marriage and family. Mm. Um, and I guess, you know, me or I are all about evidence-based and data. So I'd love to know a little bit more about, about what that means and why it might be helpful. Yeah, I can't even take credit for this. It came out of a podcast episode we did with a couple who were like so awesome at how they navigated the mental load and the the husband was talking about he kept saying like I collect data I collect data he was really cute actually how he would talk about it but the concept behind this is really you know women tend to be the the managers of the home and what gets really frustrating is when their partners act like they are their employees and collecting data just means that you are shared like you're both in management roles and you are you are operating in your home paying attention to what gets done, collecting data about, oh, I see my wife's doing this right now or my partner's doing this. What is all that that's involved? It's it's paying attention so you can start to learn and eventually take initiative and in helping how your family operates. And he, he told a story about driving his kids to school and like listening to them and taking in data. And then that helped him anticipate their needs later down the road. And so I think that that's a real big frustration for women is they feel like their partners aren't engaging mm. in that process and that they are the ones who are the keepers of all the tasks until they pass them off to their partner. So yeah, that's really interesting. You know where I started to think about there, this could take us down a huge rabbit hole. I started to think about people's relationships with their work and their sort of paid work outside of the home and how much effort and energy and attention they give to their paid work and that feeling that when you come home you just want to switch off and kind of let go of any reins and I think traditionally you know if women have been working inside the home and not had that paid work their partner might have been the person that comes home and just wants to switch off and that means the other person has to pick up the slack around the home. And obviously now with a lot more women working outside of the home and having their paid work, they have the luxury of coming home and just switching off and not paying attention. And I've had conversations with people about you know, having the energy to actually pay attention of what's going on at home and not giving so much of yourself in your paid job so that there's actually something left over to contribute to the household. Is this resonating with you guys at all? Sure. Yeah. Definitely. And I do think it's a, you know, it's a big struggle. And I think particularly, I think the really interesting one is when people earn different amounts of money and it creates yeah. this kind of sense that, oh, their time at work is way more valuable than my time at work. And so therefore I should be able to come home, even if you work the same amount of hours and keep a handle on it. But the problem is 
that, you know, it happens irrespective of that. And often, as you talked about before, Morgan, it doesn't happen with an explicit conversation. And I think that, you know, I think if you've had an explicit conversation around, I'm going to take this job, it's going to earn more money, and therefore these are the compromises we're going to have to make in our relationship. Are you up for that? Okay, well, then that's okay. But we often don't have that conversation. It's just an implicit assumption. And I think that that's where that resentment can build up, I think. I think you bring up such a great point about having these explicit conversations around around this stuff. And I think that a lot of times, and I'm drawing conclusions, but like with women, one of the stories that get in the way of us of kind of like initiating these conversations after the fact, because if you haven't had it, you have to have it later, is that we do often tie sort of like value to money, to financial earnings. And I think that really is, is like, hard for us to sort through and then get the courage to actually initiate this conversation. But the reality is, and this isn't my concept, this is Yvrodsky's book is excellent on this topic too, but she talks about if it's important to the functioning of the family, then it's everybody's responsibility to do this. And and so you're right, you have to have an explicit conversation, but also you might have to challenge some of these stories you're telling yourself about what value is. Is value only money? Is You know, there's a lot of value yeah. in what we're doing in terms of raising children and providing food and shopping and that can of beans that means something. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a common one. So I guess, you know, we touched on earlier about the fact that when you are sharing tasks and someone else is taking on something new and they need to, you know, have time to get up to speed, you know, we talk in our book about minimum acceptable standards of executing on a task and letting go of controlling the way something is done or letting grow of those high expectations Mm. about quality. How can you reset your attitudes when it comes to this? Because it's really hard to just stand there and watch hang laundry with stuff. You know, you're like, don't hang it like that. I'm just going to have to iron it. You you know the little conversations that's going on people's heads. They're watching someone load a dishwasher and you're like, I'm going to have to rewash all of that. That's me. That's so me. I think... Oh, this is a hard one. You guys are hitting good questions because I think the explaining the mental load to a partner is challenging. And I think this is a challenging one. Like, and this is what I, when you get pushed back, I think from moms, it's, but they don't do it right. And you're like, I'm sorry, but maybe you have really high standards. And sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. You have to evaluate yourself a little bit. So it's a little bit of that within piece. So are my standards really unrealistic or is it like the dishes actually don't get clean when you load the dishwasher that way? And so you have choices. I think with a lot of stuff in relationships, we have choices. So one of the choices is that you were assuming that the standard is realistic, that you come back to your partner and you're like, okay, I really like what you're doing here, but we got to tweak it a bit because really, I, it's not closing the loop. Like I still got to come back and finish the job or redo the job. And so can I show you show you what I what we need to do? And hopefully you have a partner who's willing to hear you out. I mean, another choice is if it's really important to you and it just doesn't seem important to your partner, you can choose to do it yourself and then have a good attitude. Like this is a standard, like my husband is not good at wiping the counters. I don't know why. It's not complicated, but like I'm really particular about my counters. So I'm just going to do it. 
And and I'm not going to resent him for it. If I'm choosing, and t- if I am choosing it, and I'm going to take responsibility for that. I'm going to do it with a good attitude. And I think that's sometimes hard for people to hear. That's an important piece of it. So you can revisit it. You can choose to do it with a good attitude. You can compromise if it's something that you can compromise on, you know, well, it's not done how I want, but that's okay. I'm okay with done is better than perfect. And I think it can help be helpful to have some humility in these in this process of talking about the mental load, which is hard because it can be a really infuriating process. So I recognize that. I'm not, I'm not deft. Like I get it. I've had this conversation in my own relationship. I cannot tell you one single time I've ever been talked to by my partner about like how I do stuff. Like I don't get any micromanagement or criticism. And I know some women do. Okay. But big scope here. Oftentimes we're a bit more, we got our ways. We like things done. And so that's nice to not be micromanaged. It's nice to not be criticized when we're trying to help. And so can we offer a little bit of that also to our partners? Oh, very good advice. (laughs) And, you know, it's definitely something that I had to work on a lot. So, you know, I had, I held everything, all of the complicated logistics in my head for our household. And as I've slowly created these systems for my husband to share the load, I've had to let go of some of those standards, which were probably just, well, they were, they were unrealistically and unnecessarily high. And I have to catch myself still when I go to... (laughs) You know, it's not how I would do it, but, you know, it's done. And so for me, it's definitely playing the long game in terms of thinking about my own, you know, giving myself more time to do the things I want and letting him do things badly. Yeah. Oh, can I say one more thing? Sorry. I could just keep ramble forever on this topic. So you brought up, let go a little bit of, of how he does it. I think something that is worth just considering is also like when they do it. I remember so many times in my own relationship seeing my husband and he is he comes in from work and he jumps right in. So I give him a lot of credit, but he would sometimes like be a Saturday and the kitchen is a mess and the dishes are full and he would like lay on the couch and take a power nap. I mean, he's allowed like we're allowed to rest. I don't know why we are of this like I'll be really ticked off because did you see the dishes? I just made everybody lunch. This is meal two out of three today, folks. Like, why am I having to clean the kitchen? I almost took his lack of doing it at that moment as meaning that he didn't plan on doing it and that he didn't care that all of the things that I already did. So I personalized it. Mm -hmm. And I, something clicked for me one day and I was like, well, I could choose to sit on the couch too. And I did. And I started doing that more. And there were dishes in the sink a little bit longer than I like, but he would get up and do them eventually. And I think that just having that permission to to ease up a little bit on our standards is sometimes what we need. We need to hear, you can choose to not do it too sometimes. And it's going to get done. It's going to eventually get done. Yes. I love this focus on having that self-awareness and realize you have all these little choices you could be making. Yeah, and I, I would also say that that applies to your children too. I think that it's very easy to rescue your children because you want it done straight away. Yes. And so giving them the space to figure it out, do the task is hard, particularly for people like me who's super conscientious and organised and I still do often take over. But I do also give them all the chance occasionally to, to work it out and, you know, we're all the better off for it. Uh, oh, so yeah. highly encouraged. Just take some so long sometimes <laughs> <laughs> kids so much patience yeah 
So another thing, Morgan, you talked about in your podcast was about balance, taking steps of informed initiative with making requests for support. And I think we've probably already touched on it a little bit, but maybe you could uh, expand on that a bit further. Yeah, this came out of pushback around asking for help. You get that a lot. I shouldn't have to ask. I shouldn't have to ask. And so in the podcast, we were talking about this balance between, you know, a the partner's responsibility is to is to take some initiative sometimes, to not treat your partner like they are the manager and you're the employee, but to collect that data, like to pay attention and to take some initiative. But then also it's your responsibility too. If things are piling up and it's unmanageable and you are losing your mind and you're building resentment and you're bottling it up, but you're about to blow up you should ask for help. So it's it's this balance between, yes, we want our partners to take more initiative. And that is so important to the functioning of a home and to the mental health of the partners who are carrying the majority of the mental load. But also sometimes we do need to, to ask and let our needs be known. And I mean, you were talking about like going through your systems with your partner and explaining it. And, and there is a piece that we need to really hone in on there, which is sometimes our partners need to be told and taught what to do when we've been doing it all these years for them. Mm. And this is not a set and forget conversation, is it? How often do we need to be checking in with each other about our mental loads? I I think often to very often. So, <laughs> so I have these principles about the mental load, but one of them is that it's always changing. Like life has this way of regularly imbalancing how we distribute our responsibilities in the relationship. And you just, even good things like around the holidays, think about, ugh, there's like so much more on the mental load around the holidays or birthdays. And so I, I think that it's important that we recognize that you're not going to find the perfect distribution and then just going to cruise for the rest of your relationship. It's an Mm -hmm. ongoing conversation because it's constantly changing. As your children grow, they have different needs. You have different things as your work life changes, all this stuff. And so have a real sit down once a month. And if you can do it, I would say do check-ins every single week. Like what's on your plate? What's going on? How can I get in your world this week? And I think even just having – it's a casual conversation even of – What's on your plate this week? Let me understand what's going on. It's an opportunity then for a partner to say, oh, well, I can do that for you. Let me take care of that. And really getting in each other's worlds. And so I think weekly is good. I When COVID first hit and it was all, my husband used to be gone every week for travel. I mean, the def- of course, then everything lands on me. He went from being gone a lot to being home all the time and also working at home, which was weird for he didn't like doing that very much. And so he's good now, but it took a transition time where we did check-ins every morning because I might be doing a podcast or something like this and he's got a Zoom meeting. And, and so we had a check-in every day. What's on your plate? What's going on? How do we juggle this? How do we navigate this? And I think it helped us function really well during COVID. And so talk about it a lot if you can. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. Yeah. In our book, we actually talk about the idea of having a monthly momentum meeting, which I think, Love it. you know, is it with a bit more structure around it. And I do mm-hmm. really like that idea. And I also noticed that Amantha Imber in her new book, she uh, recommends this idea of having like a list of you know, this is actually, I think, in a work context, but a list of items to discuss. And it's actually something I've implemented is that I have a list of things that my husband and I need to discuss. And we both add to that list. And that really also helps because often you you might feel frustrated in the moment and you're likely to sort of have the conversation in a not a very productive way. Whereas if you can catch yourself and add it to the list and have it on a (laughs) 
we have it on a Sunday night. We usually have a glass of nice wine and we sit down mm-hmm. and we talk about things in a much more considered manner. I highly recommend both of those things to make a huge yeah. difference. Yeah, I, I have a list that I run through with, you know, my kid's dad, the same thing. Like we have a phone conversation and then we have like a, a note on my phone that I share with him and we put things because, you know, as you said, things move fast, especially over the last two years. It's just a changing, changing situation every day. Uh, and just having that to work from and both being able to contribute to it is really helpful. Yeah. I wanted to say, I, you know, as you were talking through that, that, you know, the regularity of these check-ins, I think that was one of the biggest shocks to parenthood when I had this, my daughter, she was this baby, realising that Every few months, you know, she changes. She's going through these developmental milestones, which meant she needed different things and her behaviour was going to change and her patterns were going to change and that I would have to redesign my life around it. And as you have kids and they, you know, they get older, you just realise, oh, you know, the way I used to live and the kind of continuity of things, that is gone forever. Every, you know, three months, six months, Everything needs to be reassessed because everyone's doing different stuff. That was such a big shock to the system for me. That's such a good point. I think before kids, it is easier to reach that cruising altitude. You're like, we're in our groove, we're good. But with kids, you cannot do that, right? They, it's, yeah, my sister has a a young baby and then just being reminded or re-traumatized a little (laughs) bit of like, she's like, oh, she's in sleep regression or, oh, she's getting a tooth or, and you're like, I remembered yeah. not being able to predict my life. Yeah, and then through primary school and high school, yeah. as their you know lives change and they become more independent, you're just constantly renegotiating who needs to do what when in the household. Yeah, and so it's- much mental load associated with those family logistics. So, yeah, I really think you're right. Weekly check-ins, potentially daily check-ins are required. <laughs> yes. If you've got a complicated life and, you know, there is a choice to being busy and letting your kids do all of these things and having complicated work. But if you are, if you've chosen that, you kind of therefore need to, you know, to put systems in place to accommodate that. Otherwise, you will all fall over, I guess, is the yes. answer. <laughs> exactly. It's like brings us full circle. I mean, or else it starts to erode, you know, your closeness, your connection, your sex life, all of these things. And so staying on top of that's really important. I love that you put that in your book. It's part of our couples course for years. That's like we have a structure for these meetings. And I think it's a popular concept because it because it works. And it's genuinely helpful and helps prevent these sort of little issues from becoming big problems in the relationship. Oh, I think that's a wonderful point to end our conversation. Oh, Morgan, it has been such a pleasure uh, having you on the show today to share your experience and ideas. So where can our listeners find you if they want to hear more? It's been so fun. Thank you for having me. You can find me on Instagram. That's where I spend probably most of my time with social media, at least at my love thinks. And then we also have a blog, mylovethinks.com, which has tons of free content, our online courses, and then we'll soon be launching a membership, which will be a really affordable price point. So it's accessible to everybody. Thanks for listening. Show notes for this episode are available at lifeadminlifehacks.com. And if you're a fan, please subscribe and share the love and tell a friend or review us in your podcasting app. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn.